Welcome to Outrage Overload, a science podcast about outrage and lowering the temperature. This is episode 24. and even many Republicans have failed to appreciate the anger against the establishment that led to Trump's election, the subsequent violence, and why he remains a serious contender for president despite numerous felony indictments. I'm not suggesting that we appease those that stormed the Capitol, But neither can we dismiss millions of Americans as racist and ignorant. Some of them are our neighbors, friends, and family members. While these disaffected voters are probably the least represented in mainstream media, which itself is part of their grievance, they are not the only ones hurting. Americans across the political spectrum are hurting and outraged about issues like women's health, climate change, racial justice, and perceived attacks on democracy. Right, so everybody's aggrieved. Everybody's got a rational reason for why they should keep going, and that doesn't just go away. We cannot afford to make the same mistakes of 2016 again and again. We need to acknowledge that people are hurting, and we need to find ways to address their concerns. We cannot keep telling people everything is fine when their experience tells them otherwise. We need to face the reality of our situation, and we need to find a way to move forward together. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of the Outrage Overload podcast. I'm your host, David Beckmeyer, and our guest for this episode is psychotherapist and author Phyllis Levitt. I think we have to be able to ask for help. The escalation in mass murders and racial discrimination and um, the poverty level, the gap between the rich and the poor, there are so many things that are saying we need help. There's people here Masses of people, not just a few people, but masses of people are suffering. And suffering people, when they don't get attention, you know, healthy attention, caring attention, when they don't get heard, when they get shamed more, tend to act out or act in. It's like a child. If a child is screaming in pain because they cut their knee and nobody comes to help them, the anger and the fear and the pain inside is probably going to cause them to either self-harm or become outwardly in some way harmful to others or in some way dysfunctional because our pain has to go somewhere. Um, So I think we, we have to look at the big picture of what's impacting a lot of people and as a country even say, we need help. We need help. Join me on this enlightening journey as we explore how recognizing and addressing these emotions can be the linchpin to reducing political divisions. It's a journey towards creating a more empathetic atmosphere, and it begins with something deceptively simple, listening. Yeah, so um, 
Thanks for coming on the, the show, Phyllis. I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, and I really appreciate you inviting me. So thank you so much. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit um, about sort of the podcast and what we're doing here. And, and you've talked a bit about some of the same issues with polarization and some of these other things. And a theme I often hear is kind of like, you know, we're um, – it's almost like the country is in a toxic marriage kind of thing. It's like we are definitely um, – you know, this, this animosity has gotten so high and um, – and we're we're just ready to fight all the time. Uh, in that lens, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what what you've discovered? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I would start by saying is that psychotherapy and psychology actually are nonpartisan. Um, it may not appear that way, but they are. But it but it is. And in that sense, it's a really wonderful bridge. It can, it can provide a really wonderful bridge between opposing views. If we allow ourselves to, you know, use the gifts of psychotherapy. Um, But that being said, what I would say is that people come to therapy to get out of the wars that they're in, whether it's a war with themselves or their partner or their children or their employer or something in their environment. Um, we we come to therapy to alleviate the the pain and the stress of animosity, hostility, broken connection, lack of belonging, lack of love. Those are the reasons why people come to therapy. And so the gifts of therapy are really on an individual level that we help people re, um, find better ways to communicate and to relate and to alleviate that pain. And and, you know, as you're saying, what we see in our country is so much divisiveness and so much animosity and so much of a of a willingness and almost desire to fight um, that the tools that I have found and the experience that I've had as a psychotherapist, if we could understand that we could actually bring those to ourselves as a country, we could begin to heal some of these divides. Um, my understanding from all the work that I've done is that we're actually all affected by it. And certainly some people more than others. Right. You know, and, and something kind of I, I thought about there while you were speaking about that is that, you know, uh, with some of the experts I've spoken with, you know, that there's this, um, you know, in terms of us sort of wanting to fix it, th- there's kind of this short term, you know, uh, high and basically we're kind of addicted to it of kind of winning arguments and showing the other side they're wrong and showing our friends the other side are wrong and all this and it Mm -hmm. seems like the a big answer to that is you know if you can step back and say okay is that short-term benefit worth you know does it fit with my values does it fit with my long-term goals like if i want to live with less you know i want to have a better country and i want to have better 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 things is that really helping me get there you know is is all that biting and is all that winning those are those little mini arguments is that winning actually winning and you know aligning it with our big picture goals and things like that and and how you know you have any idea any ways that can help us do that like help us step back and realize that short-term benefit that feels so good is not actually helping us in the longer term yeah i mean part of that is the addiction to power and control you know and it is very addictive as we see playing out you know in the microcosm and definitely on the macrocosm and in the world on the world stage um and addiction, you know, if we just take the term addiction, we know that addiction leads to um, pain, violence, despair, death, um, disconnection from others, 
dysfunctional behavior. And that's actually what we see. But the thing that I want to say in response to what you're saying is that one of the reasons why um, the, the way I'm presenting a lot of the material in my book is that a lot of what we're suffering from is presented to us as ideological differences. And my point of view, and I'm not alone in this, is that it's really a mental health issue that we're suffering from. Because in our families, if someone, you know, threatens to kill us or um, attacks us sexually or steals from us, we know they're disturbed. And we don't want that in our own lives. I have never met one person in all my years as a therapist and just as a person in the world, I have never met one person who wants more violence and hatred in their life. We all want the same things. We want love. We want connection. We want safety. We want a sense of meaning and purpose. We want a sense of belonging. We want to feel that others are cooperating with us. And and, and I would say it this way, because it's really one of the hallmarks of the best therapy is that we settle our conflicts without violence, without verbal violence, without sexual violence, without physical violence, without economic violence, without without violence. And so um, the disconnect between what we all want in our own lives and what we allow on a national and international level is a sign of something wrong in our mental health. Yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, and a, a challenge I th- I think we have with that framework is that you know there's sort of such a stigma about saying there's a mental health issue or you know that something is a mental health issue. It's always like, well, no, the other person just isn't using the right kind of logic, and I'm using the right kind of logic, and they're not using the right kind of logic, and you know, finding a way to get away from that mindset can, I think, is a challenge. I don't know if you have any thoughts on how we might take some steps to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think we, first of all, I think we have to take the word mental health out of the context of crazy, you know, and diagnosable to someone who needs to be institutionalized or heavily medicated or whatever. I think mental health is really, um, you know, a wise, constructive, a um, state of mind in which we are we honor ourselves, but we're also aware of our impact on others and what's the good for the whole. And that's what a healthy family, a healthy family. And again, we're all imperfect at this um, because we're human. And and I totally get that, and I totally embrace that. But a relatively healthy family is not invested in the good of only one person. It's invested in the welfare of the relationship between the partners, the welfare of the children, who they become in the world, providing um, a healthy family doesn't starve one child and feed another. And in the family of America, we allow this. And so that's that's kind of the disconnect. And I think people need to be educated about um, what family dynamics are healthy and how they could be applied to our country that could make it safer actually for all of us. Hmm, interesting. So uh, I, my listeners are, are tired of hearing me talk about it, but I do um, I do sort of these, uh, what I call these man on the street interviews where I talk mm. to just regular people and I, and I kind of have a, I try to have a very neutral kind of set of set questions I sort of go through that aren't, you know, trying to be as nonpartisan as possible. And, yeah. you know, when I talk to people across the spectrum 
And one of the big takeaways I get from that, and, and it, when I'm doing that, I, I do go into complete listen mode. Like I don't try to push back or change their opinion or anything. I'm just trying to hear where they're coming from, kind of take a temperature on it. Right. And the big thing that I, I get from that is, um, or one of the big takeaways for me is, you know, that what there's this, what I would call sort of this worldview gap that we don't realize how far apart we are sometimes on things because we're sort of in our bubbles. Everybody else, kind of, we, we kind of walk into a room and say this thing that we think is kind of normal, but it actually is maybe more extreme than we think. And so if you walk in the wrong room and say that, other people are like, wow, this person is insane. You know, kind of your, your first reaction is, you know, almost like a shock. And I think that's a big piece of why it's a challenge to have these conversations because, you know, for many, many times, if you, the, the first one of those things that happens, it just startles you almost. And, you know, and you might fight or flight or you might just, you know, kind of overreact to it and this kind of thing. And, you know, trying to stay in that listen mode. And so, you know, that's one thing that I think is, is, a, is a big challenge is we all sort of see ourselves as kind of the center point and everybody else is kind of wrong or extreme, but I'm kind of normal no matter where a sort of the closest thing to an objective observer might put me. I kind of put myself in the middle. I'm the one in the middle. Everyone else is kind of crazy, right? And, and that's a big I, – I think that's a big problem that you have to – and I've talked about it kind of like in the sense of inoculation, right? If you're going to go into a conversation – you know, you have to be sort of prepared for that and just realize that you are going to have to put a lot of energy in, in the listening side. And, you know, and I, I you know, people always ask me, and I don't know, I'm not really an expert, but what from I've, you know, sort of learned, I always tell people, well, the first thing to do is the first conversation, don't talk or, you know, don't try to change anybody's mind, at least just mm -hmm. your first time, just figure out where they are. And then yeah. if you want to start saying, well, on these three things, I, I, I care enough, I want to push back, you know, or whatever, then maybe you go have that pushback conversation. But it's like the first time, don't even try to push back, like just hear where they're at and spend some time just doing that. Right. And then I think there's a third alternative. I, I totally agree with you. I think the deep listening is the beginning. It's because there's no openness without some deep listening. But I think the third alternative is not pushback, but maybe inquiry. Like, right, right. How did you come to that? You know, um, who modeled that for you? Um, what's your experience with that? Because in therapy, that's what we do. You know, when someone comes in with a, a block or a, or a stress or they're isolated or they're not able to thrive in their in their pursuits of their business or their art or whatever we kind of go back you know we look what were the formative influences how did you come to the coping mechanisms that you're employing now and if they're not working what's fueling them that makes it hard for you to choose something else i mean there's a hundred questions i could say right now so we really dig deep with like empathic listening it's so it's 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 not just listening to another point of view but it's empathic listening to the roots of where another person comes from and often, you know, and again, this is sort of treads that fine line of saying psychotherapy is not partisan because it's not, but it is committed to healthy, loving, connected, safe human relationship because that's what people come to therapy for. Um, and so we look at the roots of violence, not through a, a lens of judgment, but what was the conditioning that created this and who was the person that sustained this and what happened to that little person in you that got bullied or beaten or um you know had role models of man and woman's relationships that were violent or abandoning or whatever 
Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because pushback was probably the the wrong term, and and that's really what you're talking about is really more of what I meant. Kind of like explore that area more, and you know, because yeah. sometimes yeah. you can say, you know, if they if they say something that's very against your values, let's say. And you're going to feel really bad if you don't at least tell them, well, I feel a little differently, but tell me more about how you feel or whatever. Then you may you right. may feel like you have to do that to at least let them know I have a different position on that. You're absolutely right that that's, that's more about exploration and that inquiry is, is really the next path to do. And, and that's hard. Very hard. Very hard because we all have strong feelings about what we believe, you know. Um, but I think what you're talking about is like having your own personal integrity in the conversation, um, in a way that somehow you hope is still building a bridge to the other person. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And I'm glad you also mentioned that it was difficult earlier because I wanted to kind of circle back to that because, you know, I, I think everybody's kind of looking for, well, give me the magic recipe that I can just do this quick thing and I'll get them to think the right way properly <laughs> because they don't think the right way now. And I want them to think the right way. So what's my, what's the secret to get them to think the right way? Well, we know that the secret is not shaming, blaming, and assaulting. We know that. <laughs> or at right. least we've we've come to that conclusion, at least on the one-on-one. Um, but yeah, and I and one of the things that is really clear to me from having written this book is that it's actually harder to repair human relations than it is to wage war. It's really easy to fly off the handle. It's really easy to fight. You know, there's just such an impulse of defend, protect, assert, um, but actually sitting down and committing to the elements that would create peace and reconciliation and reconnection is really hard work. So when people, you know, have an idea sometimes, and this goes along with some of our prejudices about mental health, that therapy is for, you know, the weak or whatever, it's not true. It's some of the hardest work that a human being can do, which is to really tolerate um, distress and not act out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and then there is that stigma, like you said, and this feeling of you're weak if you have to, you know, do that. And it's like, yeah, it's too bad that that's out there. Yeah, and and that's part of you know the education process. It's all part of what. I'm committed to in the book that I've written that I really want the man on the street to understand some of the principles of, of mental health, you know, actually I'll find a new word, (laughs) you know, health and well-being, peace and love and connection and cooperation that are not widely talked about. And they're, you know, psychology is not a subject taught as just a matter of course in our schools. I think it's becoming more so, um, but we we just really need to edu- educate ourselves as an entire population, not just the few people who are lucky enough to come to therapy. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm coming to to the position that, like, we talk about news literacy and having an educated populace about the facts and about. I also think we need an educated populace about mental health and some of the psychology. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent. You know, and even if they have to kind of call it something else because of a stigma, I feel like, you know, we're not going to, we're never going to get there if we don't understand some of these things about ourselves. We won't. And, you know, and I think another thing that I am very aware of as a therapist is that usually what brings people to therapy, I would say 99% of people that come to therapy are in pain. The pain has to be bad enough that they actually want 
help from an outside source. And a lot of people come to therapy who wouldn't have come to therapy um, had they not been in enough pain that they really didn't know where else to turn. And so in that sense, um, and this may be sound, maybe sound counterintuitive, but I think as a country, we sort of need to feel our pain to get on the road to some kind of recovery and repair and reconnection with one another. Um, you know, there was one day when I was working on my manuscript for my book and across the top of my computer flashed another mass shooting, you know, right at that moment. And it's just, you know, I think we need to feel the pain of that to say, what do we want to do for the family of America and every family in America to stop this? And one thing that kind of touched or that rang with with me was um you know a lot of a lot of the research i've looked at is this is part of the problem that we've become so focused on identifying as something else you know i'm red i'm blue i'm this i'm liberal i'm conservative i'm something else and it's very hard we don't have that superordinate identity as an american and you know so I, i'm i'm hoping how, how do we get that back like how do we remember we're actually americans and we're, and we're citizens of the world and that kind of stuff yeah well, you know, I, I use the family model to talk about that because I think it's it makes sense to a lot of people. Like in a family, you know, you, you could say I'm a Levitt or I'm a this, you know, I'm that. This was my family. And in a relatively healthy family, there's a balance between what's good for the individual, what supports the individual's welfare and growth and full expression and maybe movement into constructive adulthood and what's good for the family as a whole. There's a balance between the part and the whole. And that's what I think is missing in our country, even that awareness that that there's, there is an America and there's all these different states, there's different nationalities, there's people that came from different parts of the world and settled here at different times in history. There's different races, there's different genders, there's different religions. And we all want some piece of our own in individuality and integrity to be respected within some context of the family of America, just like in, a, in an individual family. One kid may be, you know, a brainiac and another a sports or withdrawn or, you know, um, one's really outgoing, one's really introverted. And you kind of look at what's good for everybody that also keeps the family from exploding or imploding, right? So that's how I think of us. And, and there's a, a wonderful word for what I'm talking about um, that I really like, and it's called sovereign unity. So we, we, we maintain our individuality and the respect for other people's individuality while we have a sense of the whole. And I think, you know, and I think that might have been one of the original ideas of our country with the states and states' rights. But I think we've lost that sense of how to actually make it work. And it's hard work. Like I said, it's much easier to fight and dominate. It really is. Yeah. And there's also, as you mentioned before, there's sort of a lot of people kind of in encouraging the fighting, you know, whether it's social media companies and everybody else that, uh, you know, that it's, a, it's an uphill battle a little bit to, to go out of that mode. Um, and because, you know, if you want the attention, you become one of those fighters and you get all the attention. And if you're trying to do something else, it's like, no, that guy's boring. 
So from the bottom up, you know, the the healthier we become as individuals, the more we work with our own wounds, the more we make our families healthy, the more we raise relatively healthy children, um, hopefully the more we will empower people who have those kinds of values. But I think the work is from the top up and the bottom, the bottom up and the top down and lots of education in between. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I think you, you can't, we can't expect our leaders to sort of fix this for us. It's definitely got a bottom up factor to it. Yeah. Yeah. And part of what's alarming for me as a therapist, there's, I always want to say there's two sides. There's a wonderful couples therapist named Terry real. And often he'll begin his feedback to a couple by saying there's bad news and there's good news. Which one do you want first? And usually people say they want the bad news first, right? So the bad news is that as a therapist of so many years, I cannot tell you the epidemic of abuse in individual families that I have heard. It is appalling what people have suffered and still go on and try to raise their kids and go to work and pay their rent um, and be constructive human beings. It's, it's really epidemic in our country. The good news is we really do know so much in the field of psychology about how to break the cycle. Um, and some of those elements we talked about, about making it safe for people to share their pain, helping people listen deeply and with empathy, taking personal responsibility for our part in whatever happened, moving toward um, making amends, making agreements that are, you know, that bring people together and reconnecting on an emotional level so that we reconnect to our care for one another, because that's the best prevention from any kind of abuse and violence. Um, and so the good news is we really do know a lot about what we need to do if we could implement it on larger scales. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. Okay, well, I really uh, enjoyed this uh, conversation. Uh, again, thank, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So tell us uh, one more time the name of the book. Um, the book is is America in Therapy, and um, I have a website, phyllislevitt.com. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you very much. Take care. Okay. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye-bye. That is it for this episode of the Outrage Overload podcast. For links to everything we talked about on this episode, go to outrageoverload.net. Before you leave, let me tell you about our Facebook group. Join in to connect with like-minded listeners, discuss the show, and shape its future. Share your thoughts on outrages, give us feedback, suggest guests, and be part of a growing community. Visit outrageoverload.net slash join. And contact me on Twitter or Instagram, at MrBlog, and just say hi. Thanks for listening, and remember, together we can lower the temperature.